Welcome to All Creatives Now, a brand new one-stop creativity spot where you can find all the information and resources you need to unleash your creative potential. Looking at the growth in the creator economy and facilitating conversations amongst creatives about what it is to be a creator in the modern world. Join me, Paul Stevenson, and me, Kev Harrison, as we interview creatives from a range of disciplines about their journeys, their passions, their struggles, and what it means to them to be a creative in the modern world. There has quite literally never been a better time to be a creative. Get your work out there into the world. Welcome to another episode of All Creatives Now. Uh, my name is Paul Stevenson, and with me, as always, is Kev Harrison. Kev, how are you doing? Hello there. I'm doing all right, thanks. Yeah. Um, what an exciting conversation we have got coming up with uh, Mr. Luke Condor. Uh, we yeah. cover so many areas of creativity. It's like it's it's a bit of a long one, eh? It is a it's a, it's a massively long one. So we're going to keep this introduction relatively short and sparkly, much like ourselves. Um, but <laughs> yeah, just before we sort of get into it, you know, Luke is uh, an author, uh, a podcaster, a video maker, um, uh, an all round creative comic creator. Yeah, he does the we lot. Could go on. He's also, and um, we do get into this a little bit in the interview, um, but he's also uh, very much a community builder and. You know, the community of writers that he's built around Hawk and Cleaver, you know, is very much the reason why you and me know each other, know each for other. one thing. Yeah, totally. um, so, yeah, so he's, he's a bit of a hero um, uh, just in general terms, but he's also a fantastic creative. Um, and before we get into it, he's going to talk in this about his Kickstarter for My Dog Shit's Cash. We're going to drop a link in the show notes. Before you even go anywhere, before you listen to this interview, go and click on that and go and back the Kickstarter because it's fantastic. I've actually had a sneak read of a little bit of the book and it is so funny. Uh, I've backed yeah. it. Um, uh, I've backed uh, it as well. And it's fantastic. And watch the video because it's great. Um, but okay, we're going to give you a second to go and do that. So, okay, now you're back. Um, <laughs> and we're going to get into the interview with uh, Luke Condor. So here we go. So uh, our guest today is uh, one of the most multi-talented people I've ever had the misfortune of coming across. Uh, he's a filmmaker, a podcaster, an author, uh, an author even. Um, he's orthodontist uh, as well. An orthodontist. Uh, he's <laughs> uh, he's a, a, a purveyor of all things bizarro um, and uh, an all-round good egg. Oh, and also he owns his own publishing company. So. Um, yeah, a man of many, many hats. So uh, welcome to the show, uh, Luke Condor. Hey, thanks for having me. I have about three hats, actually. You're wearing um, one of them right now. Which hat exactly, is that? Yeah. Hat number one. This is the best one. Mm-hmm. It's, I've got a weird-shaped head, so I have to find the right hat to sort of mally, you know, turn mine into a good shape, to like the good egg shape. And this pretty much does it. Yeah. Solid, yeah. solid headgear. It's solid. I, I'm also cursed with a slightly oddly shaped head, but it's also unfortunately one that a hat does no hat suits. I've yet to find a single hat that actually suits this head, which is um, it's a damn shame. I've just got a Great. giant head, so I can't buy no, it because they never fit. I was, me. I was going to say you've got an amazing head, Kev. You've got giant. one of the best heads I've ever seen. It's, uh, it's not that big. It's not that big. I am um, where I used to work. They had like um, the boss was a bit crazy. He had like a diving bell helmet for a bit of decor in the in the corner of the office everyone could put it on apart from me i just couldn't get it over my head <laughs> i was the only one who couldn't wear the diving bell i'd be in there with you definitely <laughs> and uh obviously we've got a fairly interesting assortment of beards going on here across the uh 
you know, across the feed. So that's that's quite good. I think um, it's interesting because Kevin and I have opted to try and extend our faces um, mm-hmm. with, in hair form, whereas you've gone for very much of a kind of a, a, a you know, fitting your own form, which is, um, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, bit. I mean, uh, so I I haven't clean shaved in twenty years or something ridiculous like that because I hate it. Uh, I only have a beard because I just hate shaving. But if I go any longer than this, which I have done many times before, it goes sideways. My beard starts to go towards my right shoulder, um, which is a bit strange. Yeah. So I have to keep it quite trim. I, uh, I I had a beard when I first met my wife. It was more of a goatee thing, but it kind of then mm. sort of blossomed outwards. Um, blossomed. And for oh. yeah, yeah, definitely is the word for it. Um, but uh, she uh, she once said to me, uh, "Yeah, you should really try shaving it off. I'd love to see what your face looks like without it." And so I went upstairs and I shaved. And I came downstairs, and the first thing she said to me was, "How long do they take to grow back?" <laughs> Which I thought was a, a ringing endorsement of my face. So, uh, yeah, but the good thing is, is I now get to have a beard for the rest of my life, which I'm quite happy with, because again, no shaving. So, so yeah, Yeah. but we didn't really bring you on to talk about beards. So, um, I mean, we, we could just do a good half an hour on beards and beard care. Um, and I mean, for the, for the audio listeners, that's going to be really poor to be honest. The audio audience is not going to get much out of it. I, I no, no, that's very true. That's very true. Audio listeners, just uh, just you know, be aware that you know there are some fine beards on display here. Yeah. But um, yeah, but we can move on now. So, um, uh, Luke, obviously, uh, why don't you mm. tell us a little bit about your sort of superhero origin story, as it were, for storytelling? When did you first get the storytelling bug? Oh wow. Okay, so I uh, was a Weirdly, I think so. I lived in one town till I was about uh, 11 or so, and we moved. I think I was quite a popular kid in that old school. I was a normal kid in the old school. And then we moved, and then I broke my arm, so I couldn't play football with all the kids. I always get left out. I can't wear diving bell helmets with all the cool kids. I can't play football with all the cool kids. So I just spent a lot of time on my own, in my own head, in this new town. Didn't know anyone. And I kind of found comic books and found reading. And I just spent hours... And I was in my own head coming up with ideas for stories. In fact, the very, I remember the very, very first story I came up with. It was dead original. It was uh, called The Fox Men. And it was, uh, it was led by like this um, professor guy who, who was bold uh, in a wheelchair called Professor Fox. Mm. And um, there, was a, there was a team leader called Biclops. And I don't think I actually had a story. I just had like this, uh, this team, superhero team, obviously, who were going to was- fight. Was there a pulloverine? I think I just had Wolverine. I don't think I could think of anything that worked. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Biclots, Professor Fox, and Wolverine. Very good. Uh, where did you get yeah. the inspiration from? For that? <laughs> it's all from my own head, I think. Personal experience. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, so since that, I mean, I always, I was always kind of writing and making stuff. I think I wanted to do comics, and I wanted to draw comics and make comics initially, uh, but I'm like terrible drawerist so at some point i i know what happened i started playing guitar and if you start playing guitar at the age of 14 you that's pretty much you done for the next 10 years in bands traveling around the country trying to make something happen i think you two might be in a similar position right yeah i was a screamer but yeah same yeah yeah i'm a screamer of of bandy things yeah yeah so i did that for a while which which was very fun 
Um, but then at some point we start a student radio uh, show to play local indie bands and that kind of thing. And we also interviewed the local chip shop owner. He was like a conspiracy theorist. His <laughs> name was Barry and he was going on about how UFOs are stealing the water. And it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but the best thing about that show was um, we used to make, I used to write and record and make studio, uh, like little radio sketches, comedy sketches. And they were awful, really. Like they weren't good. There is some on YouTube somewhere. Uh, but I just really enjoyed that writing something and putting it out to an audience. And it was like 12 people who listened to it. It wasn't a lot of people. But that um, that feedback of like hearing people laugh or, or, or whatever experience they had to, to that thing that you wrote was was kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, it was, it was a feeling that I still just try and recapture. Every time I write something, it's thinking about how that's going to come across uh, to an audience. And then I think from there, we left... Uh, university and I started writing short stories and screenplays and stuff made a few short films um, and the very very first short story I was like okay this is I think before I was just playing this is kind of my voice this is the kind of story I want to tell it was like a 250 word short story called the people who live in my beard and I was like <laughs> yeah there's something about that that I just I don't know like it, it, it felt like it Foxman okay I admit the Foxman wasn't very original <laughs> that was coming from somewhere. I must have seen something around that theme topic before. No but one will ever know, but yeah, fine. <laughs> people in my beard was like, it felt like um, I was expressing myself for the first time. Uh, like, like properly, like it felt like it was coming from some something. Inside. I'm sure there were influences, but there were, it, it wasn't a narrow uh, lane of influence. It was a much wider, broader um, spectrum of influences that were coming together, being filtered through me and coming out and, and, the, and the story was ending up on the page um and that that you know is a flash fiction story so what happens to flash fiction story is not not a huge amount i think some people read it and liked it and stuff but i don't know is that it was that first story when i was like okay i'm just gonna write short stories now and then did that for a long time um made a few short films i mean the story could go on for a long time it's that was like 10 15 years ago yeah. so it's been it's been a long ride from that one short story to wherever I am now, I guess. Yeah. So. Uh, where, whereabouts did the sort of, um, the, the, the sort of germ from, from those short stories, where did it develop into say, you know, what you're doing with the other stories? How did, how did that come about? Uh, so, uh, okay. So while I was doing short films, I lived in Derby for a little bit and we were doing short films with some local guys around there. And I was, I was working in like a little Apple shop um selling apple computers and stuff and the guys who work in apple shops tend to be people who are creative who've just thought i want a job that has anything even remotely uh related to a creative pursuit you get all sorts of creative applications on on apple computers so i'll get a job working at apple so everyone there kind of was was kind of coming from a, a similar kind of perspective we were bet between university and, and our adult jobs um <laughs> and we made this like really cool little I would call it a studio, which is a bit weird because we were like we had a job to do as well. But at the same time, like we had like a guy who was really in photography, uh, another guy who was a music maker, and we come and we constantly show each other what we were working on. And then we had like a giant Apple TV at the back of the shop. We'd close the doors at night and just like uh, throw up what we've been working on. We critique each other's work. It was a really amazing like little creative community we had. Um, and then uh, those, and then they, they closed that shop down, so that kind of 
um, disappeared. I moved to London, found myself completely alone and cut off from other creators, which I hate to, I hate to have. I, I like to be surrounded with uh, creative people all working on, on their own little weird little nuggets mm. of, of art. Um, and then um, how did this happen? So I really wanted to make short films because I don't know, it's just, it was an interest at the time. Um, and I was applying for um, grant. If you want to make a short film in England, you can apply for arts grants. Um, and I was trying for about two years to try and get a, some kind of funding, about two thousand pounds, to make a short film. But n- no, nowhere would, nowhere would have me. I couldn't fit into the diving bell helmet. I couldn't play football with the kids at school. And now I can't get money from the government. I don't understand what's wrong with the world. Always the outsider. Uh, I don't know. It was trying for two years. I was getting really angry at that. I was like, I've got like a, I've got like a cool film I really want to make, and I, I, I think this is going to work out really well. Uh, but I just couldn't get any traction at all. And I said, I can't remember what happened. At some point, I just said, okay, I'm going to make a short film on my own um, in a week. Um, I've not got any money, so I'll make it for no money. I've not got a camera, so I'll make it without a camera. I ended up using like a screen capture software to, to yeah. make it. Um, and I didn't have any actors, so I had my fiance and I just had her actors as herself. And I made myself a character in the film. Just use anything and anything available to me to make a short film um did that in a week uh it was called keith put it online and it um did did really well i mean it's like it, it it came out a month before or a month after unfriended so this was like before the screen capture film <coughs> thing happened and now they're kind of everywhere because yeah very easy to make uh but it got like fifty thousand views in the first week and that was the wow. first time i put something out there before that had gone from like we want to as you're making stuff in this world you you make stuff you put it out there and so often it just feels like you're burping into the wind and yeah. no one even wants to smell it like, what what's <laughs> going on i just need some <laughs> I need some reaction from someone somewhere yeah and yeah. i put this film online and then um it's like it went um on uh not a dig is that website still there because it's gone now dig Remember Damn, Dig? Remember Dig? I, haven't, I, I haven't been on it for be a there, long but, time. Yeah. 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 No idea. It's probably not there anymore. It's like front page. It's, it's, Dig it's gone the way bit. of MySpace and uh, Friendster. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so I was getting like loads of comments and emails and replies. And it was the first time I was having a real conversation with a, a, a larger number of people. Um, and then I think that kind of uh, kickstarted my um, need for wanting to do more and, and create more. And it like, gave me like rejuvenated my passion for storytelling. Um, and I think at some point to the other stories that started because, um, so I was doing a, a podcast that, uh, don't think Kev's been on yet. Paul's been on the podcast. Haven't been on it yet. No, I've, I've been lording this over him. I basically just keep phoning him up every sort of couple of days and going, have you been on Luke's massive storytelling podcast thing yet? Yeah. Cause, uh, 4 I don't, know if, you know, I don't know if you know, but I, I have. It's the outrageous. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's on another hiatus in a minute. So, if you number five years before you can come on, Kevin. I'll start to try to be alive in five <laughs> years then. Good, yeah. Um, so, I was doing a podcast as as I made that short film. I was documenting it on that podcast, and um, uh, just uh, it's kind of a, a vlog, but without the video side of it, I guess. Um, and then I started to invite other people on the on the show to do the same thing. I say you've got seven days. You have to. Decide what you're going to make and make it within those seven days. And then you can experience the fun of the challenge uh, yourself. 
uh, the first guy um, was my friend Dom, and then Ben Errington did a did one. He wrote a short story and published it on on Amazon KDP in a week. And then another friend, Matt Skip Butcher, did did his own. And then we kind of just stayed in contact. I really enjoyed that. That kind of reminded me of that experience working in the shop. Like it was, it's like a creative community we're building. Yeah, yeah. Um, so me, Matt, and Ben were like, okay, let's. We're publishing similar stuff, so let's. Um, call it a story studio and then let's start publishing stuff under the same banner under this hawk and cleaver banner mm. uh matt knew dan wilcox who i'm guessing you might have on, on the show at some point he's on all the oh, shows oh he, yeah he, he keeps like ringing me up and saying come on come on come at on 4 a.m in the morning yeah yeah a lot exactly. of podcast <laughs> conversations going on at 4 a.m in the morning <laughs> It's when we're 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 actually recording this now at four o'clock in the morning uh, as well. So yeah, yeah, so he'll be he'll be on the phone to me any minute. Um, <laughs> I I don't actually just want to um, before you you do go back on. I do just want to say, yeah. Keith, that short film. Uh, if you have, if any of our listeners haven't actually checked that out, um, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's incredible. Uh, it's yeah. uh, well worth seven minutes of anyone's time. I actually so. watched it today because I didn't think it was uh, available. I remember reading a blog about it a while ago that you posted somewhere. And I didn't think it was available, like to the to the plebs such as I, um, yeah, and uh, yeah. and it and it was very much available to the plebs such as I. So I watched it stay on the train, and people looking over my shoulder, going, "What the hell is that?" But it, <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a, it's a weird one because I don't think it kind of holds. I wouldn't say it holds up as well today as it probably did at the time, um, because it was all recorded on a computer screen. I feel like that kind of um, gimmick has probably done been done quite a few times now. Um, at the time, I think it was a, it felt a bit more fresh. Um, I, think I, I, think is, the thing that... I think there's a strangeness to it, which I think is a very uh, kind of an almost hallmark quality of all your stories. Like I, I think yeah. your stories are very difficult to kind of group together in any kind of like genre in a conventional sense. But there is yeah. this like strangeness that kind of permeates all of them. And that was very much like what I got from it, which was what I enjoyed about it as well. And yeah, I, yeah. Foxman is like uh, has a strangeness to it as well. I should bring Foxman back out of the of the cupboard, wherever that yeah. cupboard's gone. I don't know. I, I would say with it um, uh, with Keith, I think the thing that really sells it is not anything to do with the technology. I think it's got a really good sense of like comic timing. It's like an almost yeah. it's it's the timing works as a comedy, although it's it's not necessarily funny. It's kind of just quite unsettling but um yeah i think that's so i think that won't age and that's 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 the strength to it but um yeah i'm I'm a big fan of that um but yeah so um but yeah so then you started then you started putting together the uh the 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 team of hawk and cleaver i guess yeah we didn't really know what to do at first and i guess we still don't really know what to do uh but (laughs) there was uh myself ben uh skip and Dan, and it was, I think it was like January 1st, 20, uh, 2016, we all got on a Skype call and we were like, oh, what do you want to do? And I, I I don't know how this all came about, uh, but one of us was like, let's do um, a way to promote ourselves. Let's do a little book of short stories every single month. Month one will be, we'll each write one short story and we'll create like a tiny little book. Uh, month one will be Alien Invasion that's a really popular genre of fiction mm-hmm. next one would be like zombies and we'll, we'll just do a different theme every single month uh and we'll put it out as book and we'll make it free uh the back of that book will be like links to the other books that we write and the other products that we're, projects we're working on and then 
we um because i had the background in making student radio sketches and i've been podcasting um with luke's massive uh, luke's massive storytelling podcasting and i don't know if you need this but i used to be a freelance podcast editor for a company called freedom podcasting and i was supposed to start at ed- well, i could talk about this i was supposed to start editing <laughs> tim Ferriss, the tim Ferriss podcast oh, yeah. uh, i was doing a few of their podcasts uh but it got to the point <clears> where I, I decided that I was either going to have to do that, only that, and become a podcast editor, and that would be what I do, or I could focus on on the writing and the storytelling, which is more of what I wanted to do. So I kind of told them I didn't want to do that anymore because that, that was such a time. So and that's absolutely awful, uh, really an awful job. If you if you're a podcast editor who's editing a two hour conversation about the stock trip, the stock market, you have no idea what they're talking about, and you have to do the blog posts that go with them as well. Because I I'd tell this this isn't worth. The, the money so I kind of stacked that uh so I started to focus on the storytelling stuff I said I could turn this into a podcast um you we all write stories uh one 1,000 word story a month each of us I'll find a narrator or a friend who's, who's an actor or whatever and we'll, we'll work it out and then that very quickly um became the main thing and the idea of the book and the magazine kind of fell away because that wasn't doing anything at all. Um, it was kind of weird when the other stories first started because we put it up and sometimes when you make something, like when I made Keith, I remember, and when I made uh, wrote The People Who Live In My Beard, I remember as soon as I finished them, that I had the same feeling of, I think this, even if no one else likes it, I can tell this is something that's, that's it's like t- it's tickling some part of me, some part of my creative my creative inner soul that mm. I, I I I was put on the surf to do that thing, and uh, when I made Keith, I felt that way. When I wrote that short short story, I felt that way. And when when I listened back to the first couple of episodes of the other story, I was like, "This is that again." I don't know if it will do very well, but I could kind of tell it might. Like I could kind of tell that there's something working here. There's some I don't know um, strange mixture of, of things coming together here, and I don't think many other people are doing this. So it might do quite well. Um, and then it did. I don't remember how the numbers worked. I think the first month we got like a thousand downloads, which was like pretty cool because my other podcasts were like getting between 10 and 20. Yeah. Uh, so that, that is awesome. A thousand downloads a month. I'll take that. And the next month it's like 10,000 downloads. And I was like, whoa, that's insane. And the next month after that, it, it just kept growing and, and steamrolling and steamrolling. Um, and then we were pretty much just writing short stories and making the podcast. And just trying to keep this thing going, trying to desperately hold on to whatever success we would manage to latch on to. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I think we all maybe we all come to those points every now and again, something's really working, but we don't recognize that it's happening at the time. We don't kind of make the most of that opportunity. Yeah. We kind of saw this and we're like, this is it. <laughs> Let's grab this and just like do everything we can with this. And then that's been like the, the six year journey. That's how it started. And it was very difficult at first to keep that going you know keep writing short stories every every month which doesn't sound that hard now uh but at the time we were new writers didn't quite know what we we're doing keep finding narrators keep finding music uh yeah it's uh haven't missed a single monday for six years uh and we very nearly have done many many times um, <laughs> but this we were kind of learning how to how to create a a content machine or an engine that makes content, which I think we've kind of fine tuned a lot now. And we, we kind of know 
I say we don't know what we're doing. I'm joking earlier, but we kind of know what we're doing with this particular thing that we we, we do. Um, we'd like to get better, but I think that's that's I don't know. That's a never-ending. You will yeah. never win that goal. You'll never get per- perfection, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah, mm. and it's quite a big team now. There's quite a, quite a few people. You've got different, obviously, different audio editing, but also different talent sort of behind the mic and what have you. And obviously, that's yeah. quite aside from the different people running the socials as well. Yeah. Um, so how many how many people are kind of involved in running the podcast aside from the people writing it now? Um, I um, probably like I think there would be like ten core people, um, and then but I also kind of include um, uh, our regular narrators um, and our, our regular writers. I kind of include everyone in this in the studio. In my mind. The, the story studio, Horgan Cleaver, is kind of everyone who... It's like it's not like a closed office that you kind of have to find the sneaky way in. I just see it as like the shop where we, we um, let people inside and they could grab a table and start working on something and, and talk about it. And like this collaboration with you guys, how did you guys get to know each other? It's uh, funny, you had this pod. Yeah, it was through Horgan Cleaver, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. like through the Horgan Cleaver group, we started chatting. Um, and it's interesting you describe it that way as kind of like an open shop for people to come in and kind of display their wares because that's kind of very much how we envisage that was actually probably the thing that i was most enthusiastic about when paul kind of talked to me about this idea you know was to bring people like you in in here to talk to us and you know for us to glean your wisdom your delicious wisdom from your skull um but also um to be able to put you know like your uh but also to be able to put like your you know, future releases for you to be able to use us as a channel for your, yeah. uh, for your like, you know, uh, publicity and uh, advertising and that kind of stuff as well. So we all kind of stay as a community and go, oh yeah, remember that guy? Yeah, yeah. he's got a new book out. That's yeah. cool. I mean, I, I, I think for me, um, Hawk and Cleaver's actually been kind of quite instrumental for me because I, I moved my entire family across the country about four years ago. Um, and kind of left all my friends behind and what have you in my sort of social group. Mm. And I hadn't really, I mean, certainly the pandemic kind of hit at the wrong time and what have you, and I haven't kind of, hadn't really met my tribe around here. And mm. at the same time, you kind of very graciously sent me an invite and said, hey, we've got this Discord group. Do you want to come and join? And um, it's kind of, it's really kept me going from a from a creative point of view. And I actually feel like it's quite a, a really nice little family that's in there. It's, it's the only social media really that I that I, I don't feel compelled to join in on I you know I just I actually I, I love being there um it's the first thing I check every yeah. morning and, and um it's a really nice little group actually um and I don't I think I might have struggled to keep the creativity going um you know as, as things were but in fact I've kind of gone the other way and just kind of taken on stupid amounts of projects kind of again yeah. slightly looking at you Luke and kind of uh and saying well if he can have 17 projects then why can't I so um so yeah and what is sleep and things like that <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of feel like i'm a bit i'm i'm a naturally lazy person i don't know if you know that i'm quite a lazy but i, I, I don't enjoy... think that's true I, I mean i feel i feel like you think that's true but i don't feel that's true <laughs> well it might seem from the outside like i'm doing a lot more than i am um what, what i would say is so over the past six years, we've been working on the other stories. And like I said, we've been adding uh, people to the community and, and we're more people helping out make the show happen. Um, a lot of time, what I do is, um, I my job now is, is, is to handle a lot of the pre-production stuff. So 
um, make sure the stories are getting to the narrators, the narrators are happy, uh, the audio is coming in. But also, I spend a lot of time building systems and like making. If if I'm finding that I'm having to rewrite the same content, or if if we're having to redo the same thing over and over again from scratch, I I tend to just work out other ways to to do that to, to try and automate as much as possible yeah. to make it as easy as, as possible for me because I am a lazy person. I am, um, uh, for example, chasing up uh, narrators can get a bit. Um, I don't want to be hounding people every week to say, have you got that audio? Yeah, because we really need it. Um, so instead, I just built a system uh, using Notion, which me and Paul have talked about before, which, um, and this, this is, I'm a kind of a technically minded person anyway, so I enjoy this kind of this kind of thing. I made a system in Notion that uh, pings, whoever's working on an episode, um, they'll be tagged into the episode. It will ping the, the people via Discord to let them know that an audio is late. If it's if it's behind time, or if there's been any change to the episode, if it's now with the narrator, with the editor, it will ping a message to them to let them know where the status of the episode. And we can, I mean, that's just one small aspect, but like it's constantly fine tuning. It's like a big engine, and I just like to go in and see, oh, that doesn't quite work right. How can I take this specific part and make that work smoother to make it to make less of a headache for everyone involved? Because, like I said, there were there were times early on where we were like almost not going to meet the deadline not get the audio out on a monday morning um but and it was it was it was like um um heart attack inducing at times like it was so stressful so i know how bad it can be so i'm constantly trying to work out ways to alleviate those stresses for everyone involved to make sure everyone's having a good time <laughs> like it's a big party and i don't want anyone to be stressed out just yeah. to try and make something that's supposed to be fun for everyone um so yeah, I mean, so it might seem like I'm doing a lot more than I am, but I just I'm just tinkering with the engine, um, and although it does take you know a, a bit of manual effort from my side every now and again, like a lot of times I'm just trying to make sure everything runs smoothly. But you also record the uh, intro outro every time, do you not? Uh, yeah, that's um, so again I bet. <laughs> I built a system, so is, um, <laughs> if we reuse writers and narrators, I just plug them into the system and it builds my credit sheet for me. Um, and I, the only thing that does take effort on that side is, is writing the, the ridiculous jokes and gags and stuff, which I just enjoy doing anyway. Like, I enjoy saying... The superpowers that the, uh, that the new patrons have. That's like a, a monthly creative exercise. Try and think of... <laughs> All I have to do is think about Foxman. Which powers did those guys have? <laughs> <laughs> All I have to—I I mean, every so every month we get new patrons, and I have to uh, for the listeners, um, they get a superpower shout out. I create a superpower for them um, and tell everyone about their superpower on the podcast. And it always—it always is something ridiculous and ludicrous, quite <laughs> surreal, absurd. I can't remember any off the top of my head, but it will be something like someone can talk to the sun or. I don't know something weird like that, uh, but that's pretty fun. I enjoy. I really enjoy that because it feels like it'd be quite for me just to turn up and not do that kind of stuff. But I really want to put in that extra effort to make it really special for for the listeners and um, and for the people who support the podcast. And for me, I want to be able to listen to that back in ten years' time and go, <laughs> "Oh yeah, <laughs> I want that experience." <laughs> yes, quite right. Quite right. I think it's, it's quite interesting because. If you look at kind of creativity now, and you know, we all have all these tools that allow us to go and put our own stuff out there. 
but then there's so much kind of admin to that as well. There's so much kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not just, you know, it's long gone are the days where you could just go, here's my creative thing, Mr. Publisher man, please go and do that with as you will. Oh, you don't want to. Oh, okay. I guess I don't get to be a creative then. Um, but the kind of the downside yeah. to that is, you know, you have to learn all these different things. So I think it's kind of, that's quite a, an interesting thing that you're saying there about, you know, find the ways to make your life easier and kind of reduce the kind of the admin boring side and, and the automated yeah. and the repeating stuff. So that's, or team that's... up with someone who enjoys the stuff that like you're not good at. I'm not, I'm really terrible at doing the social media stuff. Uh, ben is like a, he is an engine. He is a social media machine. He just enjoys, I don't know, putting together that content and, and, and sharing and, and talking about that stuff on all the different platforms. I just don't know how to work that into my life. I just couldn't do that. So I think building a team around this kind of thing helps um, because not everyone can do everything. There's there's far too much for everybody to do. Well, there's some people do seem to manage it. Gemma Moore, who you say will be on the show at some point, uh, seems to absolutely kill. Sorry, I was spoiling that. <laughs> you hit it, heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, but she seems to like, like do everything and do it yeah. amazing. So yeah, some people can. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the illustration she does for her covers, I mean, you know, that was the sort of thing that would take me about four months to do. And she seems yeah. to just be like, hey, here you go, here's another one. It would take me about three lifetimes to do this. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Four months, I would still come out with something that looked like, um, you know, a drawing right. of a stick figure. I brung like... my crayons, so I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, when, um, you know, when I first kind of met you, I think um, I bought. This rather splendid book here, uh, one to five now, oh, yeah. which is your uh, your book, um, kind of charting your lessons learned from podcasting in your pants when no one was looking. Um, and at that point, you had five million downloads. Um, but I believe you've kind of smashed that quite considerably now. So, what's the other stories on now? It's like it's like a bit over nine million now. Amazing. It's weird that at some point that I mean that means less and less in a weird way. Um, I mean, it's nice to, so for the longest time, you know, everyone has a, a, a creator bio uh, that they use for their publications and such. And for the longest time, I didn't even talk about that stuff, the stats. Uh, but I mean, Dan Howarth said you should put that in your bio. Like, even to me, it feels maybe very anti-British to be like, yeah, look at these stats. Look at all this stuff that I've done. Yeah. But um, I get you do have to put that stuff front and center because you need something any if you get any kind of win no matter how small it is you need to be able to use that to leverage yourself to get to the next big win so put it out front and center celebrate these achievements even if you do feel quite uncomfortable with them Mm. um and then try and use those to uh get the next big win whatever that is it's the social proof thing isn't it i suppose you know if nine if nine million other people have or, well, yeah, obviously, they've not all just downloaded one episode. That's probably uh, quite a smaller number downloading most of them because they're all very good. Um, but yeah. um, but it's still, it's, same you know, time, it's... Sorry, sorry. I was, I was saying, also, at the same time, do you not feel like you're upset? Like, some some people don't want to see that stuff. It makes them feel bad for their what they're, what they're working on themselves. I do feel like when people talk about their word counts, they're like, oh, yeah, I banged out 20 million words last week. <laughs> like, there's like some writers I know who will take that as a, a, as a sort of a slight against them. They'll think, why can't I do that 
in my own projects. But so I do feel a bit weird about it sometimes because I don't know. It's just I don't want anyone to feel bad. But I think we're all in we're all in different places, aren't we? I mean, you guys, like you said, you know, you've got those systems working together really well. You've got a really good team. It was a very good concept in the first place, and you know, obviously, you get good stories in as well. Um, I mean, other people, you know, with fiction podcasts, for example, might just mm. you know might be working as a solo project or maybe with fewer num- fewer members of the team. They might not uh, have the same kind of capacity for uh, socials like uh, Ben. You know, this this. I mean. I know what you mean. Like people will take it as a slight, but I think mm. it's important always, isn't it? To like kind of be aware of like, well, you know, my circumstances are my circumstances and that they're, they're not the same as somebody over here who you know might have yeah. an easier or, or a harder ride. I think in that, in that book, Paul, I actually talk about um, how after the other story starts to do really well, I actually didn't take it very well. It started to be really successful. I found myself more depressed than I've ever been in my life. I was like, why am I depressed? Like, uh, this is, something i've made is is i'm like validating myself against uh a n- number of downloads which is a big number surely a bigger number must mean more happiness but i was like more depressed than ever it was only when i just like when in terms of like writing the little jokes the stupid jokes and in, in the intros and outros it's that kind of thing that uh, keeps me happy like actually just enjoying the process of making something with my friends and all kind of working together on on this cool project that's the kind of stuff that kind of keeps me centered and keeps me grounded if I can laugh at something I'm writing as I'm writing it, if I'm chuckling to myself, then, then I know that I'm good. Um, if I'm instead, if I'm measuring myself against the download numbers we're getting, Oh, we've got like a thousand less downloads this week. Holy shit. This is, this isn't good at all. The world's going to end. Like I have to sort of not worry about that stuff at all in my own head and just enjoy the process of creating stuff. Yeah, I think that's 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 really important, isn't it? To just like if you start, if you start getting really worried about the numbers, in no matter what how you're doing it, if it's you know YouTube video counts or book sales or you know chart positions yeah. that sort of stuff, it can it can just drive you mad. There's you know it's 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 in no way beneficial to your kind of creative drive. So, and I think so often yeah. as well, it's like uh, it's not like uh, directly related to anything that you've done or. To the work or anything at all i mean there are times when you know i'll do marketing pushes on my fiction and you know the numbers will tick up a tiny 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 fraction then there are other times yeah. where you know i'm busy as hell i'm doing other stuff i don't have time to do any promotion and suddenly boom 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 stuff's going crazy and i'm just like you know unless i mean the, the, you know as much chance of figuring out why that happens if i was like mm. a sort of an ancient roman soothsayer as I were to try and look at the numbers because I don't, I don't know why they're happening, you know? So yeah, yeah. you can't get too preoccupied, I suppose. Yeah. You just got to, um, you, you're a runner, aren't you, Kev? Uh, yeah. so you know, the times where you really don't want to go for a run mm. and you just feel like I can't, I can't even think about going out for a run at the minute and you force yourself to go out and you run and it's a, a quite a long, it's a bit of a longer run. So it's like a, a longer run to your normal run. Yeah. You manage to make it all the way around. And then you're absolutely exhausted. You give like a, a bit of a final push to get to the end. There's like nothing. There's never a more quiet moment in my mind, mm. uh, like a, a more more satisfied with myself than after one of those runs where I can just take my headphones out and it's like utter peace. Yeah. I feel completely like I've I've pushed myself. I've done something. Uh, I put something, some effort into the world, and now I feel like I don't I don't mind. I'm completely okay with stuff. I feel the same with like creative works. Like if, if I if I know that I'm doing 
my best if i know if i'm pushing myself to create something and if i'm putting something into it some part of my soul into it and all the other stuff doesn't really matter as long as i've done that as long as i feel good in myself in what i've done if that makes sense Mm, yeah no it does make a lot of sense and i was going to talk to you about this actually because i know you've mentioned before on on your podcast on social media as well about Mm. um like the kind of relationship you have with like uh you know the work you write i've said i've said it's very kind of uh you know kind of defies genre it just has this kind of like weirdness this strangeness that kind of like glues it together with with your stuff and you've talked to me you've talked before about on your podcast about how um yeah that isn't necessarily going to be something that is gonna be a bestseller let's say Hmm. and like how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like, do you ever get the urge to just go, oh, I'm going to write a commercial thing and just boom, bosh it out the door and just get loads of sales? Um, or do you feel, because I mean, from what you're saying there, it sounds to me like, you know, like it's the, it's the creative process itself that kind of lights you up and I'll shut up. now. No, it's good. Uh, well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've tried to do commercial stuff before. Um, the times when I really just kind of bent myself out of shape mm. um, to fit, into you see like an octopus smart climb through like a tiny hole in a in a boat that's like the times i've tried to do that to fit into this narrow hole of, of uh um mark, product market fit is what they call it okay um i wasn't i mean i i like what i've done with that with that work but i just don't feel like it really represents me or it's, it's something that i feel like i can really shout out about i'm just it's just work that i've done um and i just, and I have tried since then to um, write more to market, to write, try and bend what I do towards um, uh, the market. But it just comes out a little bit weird. <laughs> like the last thing, I think Paul asked me to do something and I sent him a short story. I was like, I'm really sorry. I've done it again. It's come out weird. <laughs> it's very weird. But it, it, at the same time, it is glorious and wonderful. And it's so very, very you. And, and I think... It's it's interesting. I th- I see that you are really leaning in that sort of bizarro direction, and you've got uh, a book coming out soon, I believe, which I think has possibly one of my favourite uh, book titles that I've ever heard. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> uh, it's called My Dog Shits Cash. Amazing. And <laughs> it's kind of like um, it's about a guy called Nathan Alabaster who um, is in a dark period of his life, um, suicidal. I'm afraid to say, and then his childhood dog moves into his life. She's she's telepathic. Uh, she speaks to everyone with her mind. She shits cash, and she can uh, she can catch balls. And it's um it is absurd, uh, but also, at the same time, I feel like it's like a really emotionally grounded story. Um, it's like, I, f- I feel like those kind of stories, those bizarre stories that are uh, absurd, I find them best when uh, they're the emotional grounding is really resonant. Like it, it really kind of rings true. Like Pixar movies are like this. Like they're kind of absurd. Like Up is an absurd movie. I would mm. call Up a bizarre movie, but it's so grounded in like a real, um, a real character. Um, what's his name? Frank, is it or something? The old guy. Yeah, I know who, the guy you mean. I can't remember his name now. Whose wife dies and he he flies yeah. his house to uh, South America. Like and and gets. Um, uh, fights the oh yeah, there's an army of dogs in that as well, uh, but like uh, I I think I just really enjoy that kind of absurd idea that 
that can be used where you're not worrying about story logic so much. You're not worrying about uncanniness. You're worrying about getting past logic and kind of communicating with someone uh, on a sort of a, a maybe a deeper level when you're not worrying about uh, verisimilitude uh, and you're worrying more about communicating something that's, that's in your heart. And I think if you were to read those works, you might think you're in for some, oh, it's random for random sake, but I think you'd be quite surprised by mm. the emotional uh, resonance, so at least at least the resonance that I'm trying to put into there. And and I th- yeah, that was there in in your previous book as well, the run fantastic. I, I think that's right. It's interesting you talk about up. I mean, that is a literal emotional grounding. It like starts off on the ground and gives you nothing but emotion for thirty minutes, and then goes right. You've had enough of that. Let's go on a fun ride. You know, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I think uh, it's all about you know sort of the, the the grounding of it and making sure that there's something there that people still care about otherwise you know why go on the crazy wild ride yeah exactly um i was um uh, have you done the artist's way is it called that the julia no. cameron thing no um so you, you, might, you might have heard like artist dates or artist pages oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh so the artist way is a book by julia cameron it's quite a big creative piece of work that i think a lot of people uh, get a lot out of uh, and it's like a 12-week program, and it's designed for if you're struggling with yourself creativity, uh, creatively or if you've lost yourself along the way, you can go through these uh, these 12 weeks, and it's supposed to help you re-find yourself. Uh, there's one week in there where it mentioned finding your the stuff that you really love and making a collage out of it. So I did that. I was taking uh, different screenshots from different films that I love, and um, different music albums and like putting it all together into this crazy collage of stuff that like I was they just feeds me in some strange way inside me and like whatever that is that's exactly what I'm trying to do it's this it's this it's kind of like the uh, ache like it gives you a bit of an ache in your soul but at the same time it's ludicrous and silly and it makes you laugh like um, or maybe horrifies you a couple of times and that's that's kind of what I'm trying to do with with the bizarro work anyway I still mm. enjoy writing like terribly horrific stuff as well, but um, that's just a, a different aspect of of what I want to do, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Very good. Well, we'll uh, we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes as well, um, and uh, on on the website we're going to try and keep a a track of all the things that people recommend uh, and and what have you. So, um, pretty good. Um, well, I think we're probably um, we're probably you know running bit close on time now so um uh just wanted to say is there any sort of last thoughts is sort of if you were to try and address an entire audience of creative people and you could only distill it into you know all your wisdom into one nugget of truth um please think of that in the next five seconds no pressure no pressure like two one well i think um I, i so there's two aspects i guess in this one nugget of, of uh, advice. Uh, one aspect is um, when you sit down to write your story, make your film, make your comic, whatever, I think you should impress yourself first or you should feed yourself first before you start worrying about uh, how anyone else is going to perceive it. Start entertaining yourself first and make it the kind of story that you would pick up somewhere and go, fucking hell, I wish I wrote that. That's so good. I wish I wrote that. Try and impress yourself. Try and push yourself to the point where you feel like that's touching on something that 
only that I really want to do. That's the kind of work that I want to be doing. Try and get to that, get yourself to that point. Don't worry about right to market or um, bending to other people or fitting through tiny holes in boats. Don't worry about that at all. <laughs> uh, the other aspect is um, I think we all want someone with big pockets and a lot of money, uh, someone who has a lot of stature to take us, put their arm around our shoulders and say, yeah, you got, you're, you're good. I'm going to give you, I'm going to say yes to you. I'm going to make you, um, I don't know. I'm going to give you the publishing deal. I'm going to give you the film deal. You, don't worry. I've got you. You're completely settled. You're, I've got you in my arms. We all want somebody to choose us, uh, somebody to validate what we're doing. Mm. But I don't think it really works like that. I don't think you, there's almost no point in wanting to be chosen by someone else. You have to choose yourself and you have to sort of start like with Keith, like I could have just com- continued to try and apply for funding, but I wasn't going to get it. I was just never going to get that funding. So instead, choose yourself, make the stuff you want to make, um, be the, the arm around your own shoulder. And I don't, I don't think you need much more than that. I honestly don't. I think you, in, the, in today's digital world, you have all the tools you need to make absolutely professional work that reaches people all over the world. Mm-hmm. You can build your own audiences. You don't need someone to put their arm around your shoulder who has deep pockets full of money. It's all there already. Just make the stuff that you love and and start getting it out there. Yeah. And I think I think it's important as well to say, like, you know, it doesn't have to be like overnight, does it? I mean, like, you know, people yeah. people work at different paces. And like obviously if you've got like the kind of work-life balance that enables you to do that quickly, then great. But if not, then you can keep plugging away at it. You know, like if you write, what was it I read the other day? Like if you write 500 words a day, how many words is that a year? It's absolutely bloody loads. Um, I'm not a mathematician. Sorry, guys. Um, 600,000 words from that, you know, something, something like crazy. You know, like, yeah. yeah. 700. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just plug away. Just, I mean, just, just, um, Keep forcing yourself to to do the work. Keep getting to the point where you feel like you've um, you've achieved a lot for the day, and you can chill out and and grab a beer, chill, take your dog for a walk, and feel guilt free. That's just quieting the screaming voices in your head. Then you'll be you'll be completely fine. Yeah. Oh, Wait, by the way, when is uh, when is my dog? Say again. <laughs> when is when is my dog shits cash out? I am doing a bit of an experiment with it. I am doing. Um, I didn't want to just put it on. So this isn't the kind of book that is going to Penguin Random House are going to pick up and send to Rich and Judy or Oprah for their book club. It's Sadly. not going to be that kind of book. My Dog Shit's Cash isn't going to be on in WH Smith's next to the magazines. So, and it's not going to tickle uh, Amazon's algorithms either. I don't think there's even a bizarre genre. There isn't even a magic realism genre, which is insane. What what if there was? Where does Haruki Murakami put his work? Yeah, Where does Kafka um, sit? It's, it's like, so I'm doing a bit of work. I'm doing a Kickstarter campaign, which almost feels a bit weird to say for uh, a prose fiction project, but it's going to be for a limited hardcover edition and an audio adaptation, which will be like a three hour long. I don't know if it'll be three hours long. I don't know how long it'll be. Uh, between two and three hours uh, of an audio adaptation uh, with an original score. Wow. It's going to be like a, a fair bit of work, but I, I, I'm really happy with how it's coming out. It's, uh, it's, it seems, you know, earlier when I mentioned about the thing where you feel like you've made something that you were supposed to do, this feels like one of those. So I'm doing a very, very small Kickstarter campaign on the 31st of May. 
Okay. Uh, it'd be very nice to for people to check it out. We will host the hell out of that on our guest area for sure. I, I, I think it's a responsibility of everyone listening to or watching this podcast to try and make Luke Condor the next Brandon Sanderson of uh, <laughs> of Kickstarter funding. So um, I think we should try That'd and make that happen, great. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it will happen, won't it? Yeah. It will, I right? Think so. yeah, I think so. It'll be fine. I believe. Yeah. 40 million. Guaranteed. Is that what you got? 40 yeah. million. 40 million. 40 million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is uh, quite impressive. Doable. Yeah. But um, okay, well, thank you so much for spending uh, some time with us uh, this evening, Luke, and uh, and thanks for your pearls of wisdom, which were very pearly indeed. Um, yeah. So um, uh, before we go, is uh, is obviously you told us about uh, your book coming out, uh, obviously, and uh, and the other stories. Is there anything else that you want to let us know about? Uh, any projects or irons in the fire that you've got that you want to talk about? Um. No, I don't think so. Not yet. I think my dog shit's cash is a, is a number one priority in my own mind, other than the other stories. Uh, but other than that, it's all, all under wraps at the minute, all the other bits and pieces. Where can our listeners and viewers uh, find you, Luke? Uh, go to lukecondor.com. It's Condor with a K. Kilo Oscar November, Delta Oscar Romeo. Very right, Dan. <laughs> I only say that because every time I tell people it's Condor with a K, and I've been in front of people and said it's They're Condor with a K. Say anyway. They're right with a C. What? Just literally just told you. Not paying attention. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I'll go to com and uh, check out what we're doing there. Or the other stories.net. I think that's everything. And socials. Like, is there a social media where they're more likely to find you lurking? I think I'm on most of them. And it's always at Luke of Condor. Twitter, I find I'm naturally on more. Uh, but I think I have more fun on Instagram. I don't know why I keep going to Twitter. Mm. I think you've got you've got quite a visual sensibility anyway, haven't you? So, uh, yeah, you, you you like the visual side of things with your little weird poems and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, maybe it's that. Yeah, yeah it's definitely worth a follow anyway. Good. Well, uh, cheers. Thank you very much for joining us, Luke. Yeah, thank and, you so um, much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll have you back on at some point. So, uh, to definitely. to tell us about your uh, forty million pound Kickstarter Kickstarter campaign, and yeah, I can't uh, wait to and. Do that. And what our cut's going to be for promoting. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Okay, brilliant. Cheers. Nice one. Thank you. Well, wasn't that great? Fantastic. What a lovely chap. What what an absolutely excellent man. And what a great hat he was wearing as well. Yes. He's always with with hat. um, And uh, I think that's a bold choice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, if you if you've forgotten or if you didn't get around to it in the first place, remember do go and check out my dog shit's cash, uh, which is on Kickstarter. It's already funded to 100. percent So you're guaranteed to get a lovely ebook or audiobook or paperback or hardcover or whatever it is you choose to order. So it's already definitely going to happen. But do go and back it. You're going to laugh yourself silly. Yeah. Backed in 90 minutes, I think it was, yeah, which amazing. is absolutely amazing. A testament to uh, Luke himself, but also the community he's built, um, and uh, yeah, the talent that he has. So um, excellent. Sure. Well, um, thank you very much for joining me again, Kev. Um, but uh, before we go, uh, is there anything going on with you at the moment? Any sort of news or anything that you'd like to talk about? He says, yeah, knowing that there is. <laughs> I think I mentioned last time that my novella below is coming back out um, and that's actually out now um, it's come out through Bridget's Gate Press so when that died as a result of the Silver Shamrock stuff 
Um, they very quickly stepped in and said they would like to re-release it. So that one is available now in ebook and paperback. So I'm very happy about that. And also this week, just this week until the 11th, actually, which is uh, Saturday, Saturday, um, this book here, my short story collection, Paths Best Left Untrodden, um, is available on e- in ebook for uh, only 99 cents or 99p, wherever you are in the world. It's uh, selling like hot cakes. So uh, grab yourself a coffee, a copy, and uh, for less than a coffee, and uh, read some scary shorts. What about you, man? What's going on with you? Uh, not a massive amount. So what I'll do is I'll just use my time to say that yes, everyone should go out and get uh, a nice uh, ebook copy of Past Best Left Untrodden, or. Do you know what? Just go and get the paperback because it'll look really, really nice on your uh, bookshelf. And even if it's True. not on sale, it's just it's bloody lovely. Sale. And some excellent okay. stories in there. And I, I heartily endorse it. Um, but yeah, as for me, uh, not a lot going on. Uh, had a new episode of Bleakwood uh, come out since we last spoke. Um, so That's go and check out. In the mm. best possible way. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun ride. And hopefully should have another one out uh, next week as well. So, uh, yeah, go and check out Bleakwood Podcast if you've not done so already. But, um, yeah, other than that, I think uh, we've gone very, very long today with our long, long chat with Luke. So uh, I think uh, probably best leave it there. Yeah, we'll bid you all farewell. Yeah, and we'll be back next week. We've got an excellent interview with a very, 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 very funny man next week. So um, yeah, be prepared to cry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tears of tears of laughter. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, excellent. We'll uh, we'll thank you for uh, tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.